0: Welcome to the Space Beyond Scarce podcast. I'm your host, life and business coach, Kate Hawley. I work with entrepreneurs and creative change makers who value depth, impact, and purpose. Many of my clients are like me. They dream of creating prosperity through the value they provide, but they also want equity for others and sustainability for our planet. The scarcity mindset of our culture tells us that this dream isn't possible that we are not enough, that we don't have enough, that there is not enough for everyone, and that's just the nature of reality. But really, it's just the nature of predatory capitalism. I'm glad you're here, because we are going to prove that sad story false and make better meaning to build our future with. Here we go. Hey everyone, welcome back to the Space Beyond Scarce. I have been enjoying a little bit more breathing room with the new podcast schedule where we're releasing a podcast every other week instead of every week, but I do really miss checking in with you all on a more frequent basis, especially because so much happens every week and sometimes I want to talk about it. So by now, this is pretty much old news, but since the last time I was with you, one of the things that happened is Joe Biden announced a student loan forgiveness, right? And, you know, the amount of the student loan forgiveness actually is not that substantial. You know, it's $10,000, maybe $20,000 for those who had Pell Grants. And of course, it is gonna be really significant for a lot of people who this is gonna be a huge game changer for them. But in terms of a government investment, it's not actually that much money. And it also, of course, is not going to single-handedly solve the student loan crisis. Just to put this in perspective, that amount of forgiveness is going to take down about a third of the interest that has accrued on my student loans since I graduated. And, you know, I've always wondered why is it that the interest rate on my student loans is more than the interest of my mortgage and my auto loan combined? Isn't that ridiculous? Why is so much money being made off of student loans? That's a question I have. Couldn't we just forgive all the interest? Wouldn't that actually get us a little further? Anywho, that's not my, my real point in talking about this, but I just wanted to say I don't want to minimize that this is a good and positive impact. But what I do want to minimize is the backlash to it, which is absolutely disproportionate to this action. And it's and it's a very philosophical backlash, right? It's People are not mad because this is actually going to do anything personally to them. They're mad because there's this zero-sum thinking, right? That oh, I don't want somebody else to get something that I didn't get. And actually, one of my fabulous clients recently forwarded me an article that was about the response from Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, AOC, who is one of my favorites. She actually mentions scarcity mindset in her response. She said, maybe student loan forgiveness doesn't impact you. That doesn't make it bad. I'm sure there are certainly other things that student loan borrowers' taxes pay for that you benefit from. We can do good things and reject the scarcity mindset that says doing something good for someone else comes at the cost of something for ourselves. I could not agree more, AOC. Speaking of AOC, I just I'm gonna fangirl for a quick moment here. She is one of the politicians and leaders in the country right now that gives me hope and Recently, I've been recommending this documentary that I watched a few years ago about her entry into politics, and maybe you've already seen it. It's been out for a while. It's on Netflix. I think it's called Knock Down the House, and it's a pretty mind-blowing documentary to me, I think especially because I'm a coach, and I'm a mindset coach, and I really believe in the relationship between personal empowerment and Political empowerment. You know, I think that in order for democracy to work, we need to have an empowered electorate that actually sees that we, the people, have innate power when we come together and when we use our voice. So, watching the level of mindset game that AOC had to bring to her candidacy and to her election process was really incredible. There was so much courage. On display in what she did. Because coming into it like she did, she was a complete outlier. She was, you know, she was a bartender. (laughs) I mean, she was a highly educated, really amazing person. But it was easy for the systems that be to dismiss her, to belittle her, to tear her down, to tell her that she was an imposter and that she had no right to be there. And in order for her to show up and give it her full game anyway, She had to really focus on how she was going to trust herself. And since she's been in office, I have seen her face more vitriol and misogyny and classism and racism and actual threat to her life and her person than most other politicians have ever gone through. And she has not let it slow her down or silence her. So I really admire her, and to me, she's kind of almost an archetype of what it looks like to show up with courage and with self-trust. And I mention all of that because today, we're going to be talking about self-trust. So if you've been listening to the podcast for a while, you know that I have a whole huge list of things that I think of as the opposite of scarcity mindset, and That's why I call the podcast, The Space Beyond Scarce, because it's not just about abundance, it's about all of these other things that are the qualities and the skills and the mindsets that help us disrupt scarcity thinking. And one of those things for me is self-trust, because probably one of the most common iterations of scarcity thinking that I see in people is the I'm not enough story. It's usually a story of personal worthiness. And all of us struggle to believe that we are enough, right? And sometimes it shows up with something more specific than that, like, well, maybe I believe I'm enough, but I'm not smart enough, or I'm not beautiful enough, or I'm not interesting enough, or I'm not talented enough, right? So we all have our specific ways that we end up casting some shade and some doubt on ourselves. And while this is normal in the sense that it's very common and is definitely something that was taught to us by our culture in various ways, it's also something that we can work to shift. And when we do that, it creates a lot of inner resource that's quite helpful. So I have a couple of ways that I want to support you this week in thinking about and growing self-trust one of them is i'm going to do a little teaching today straight from the workshop that i taught a few months ago about self-trust for entrepreneurs this will be a little more general so definitely if you are an entrepreneur self-trust is going to be one of those skills that you're going to need every single day but that's pretty much true for all of us so we'll we'll keep it in the general realm and I'm also going to share with you a little bit about a project that I'm launching this fall. A couple times a year, I usually launch a coaching project in which I give away a certain number of coaching conversations. And this fall, I'm doing 30 conversations in 60 days. And the project is called the seeds of self-trust. My goal with this is to connect with people who are really ready to start working on growing their self-trust and taking some of the actions that that self-trust will empower them to take. So if that sounds interesting to you, check out the show notes for today and you'll find out all about it. Okay, so let's get into our teaching today on the subject of self-trust. I'm just gonna start with some definitions. You know me, I love the dictionary. So the dictionary defines trust as a firm belief in the reliability, truth, ability, or strength of someone or something, or a hope or expectation. So I just wanna highlight that this is already based in belief, right? This is already about a certain mindset and what we're choosing to believe. So then what is, Self-trust. I would define self-trust as building the belief in our own reliability, truthfulness, ability, and strength, and that would happen through thought work, through taking action, through honest self-reflection, and through setting appropriate and loving expectations for ourselves along the way. I wanna take a moment to name what self-trust is not, which maybe it sometimes gets misconstrued for. I am not talking about false confidence, like just, you know, BS. I'm not talking about toxic positivity, where you're forcing everything to sound better than it actually is. I'm not talking about spiritual bypassing, where we're refusing to sit with something that's uncomfortable and instead kind of choosing a belief that makes things more comfortable for us. I'm not talking about blind trust, where you just go in and make maybe some not smart choices because you didn't really think it through. I'm not talking about coddling yourself in the sense that trust with anyone or anything is a little bit earned, right? It's a bit of a currency even. So if you've done things to betray your own trust, there's going to be some work there to rebuild it. And I'm also not talking about forcing or rushing into a decision before you're ready. And I name that because I am someone who lives with Some self-doubt, but I also live with a lot of critical thinking in my brain. (laughs) I don't know if you've noticed that about me. And what that means is that I don't always make quick decisions because I really like to think things through. I really like to try to understand things from multiple perspectives, see the bigger picture, consider the potential impact of what I'm choosing to believe or say that I believe. So I know that this can be especially difficult for people that are critical thinkers because there's an element of, I think, intelligence and also ethics and integrity involved in being really careful about what we choose to believe in, including ourselves. If we're not really sure we can do something, there might be a good reason why we're hesitating. So I get that there's an element of this that might be about truth-seeking as well. So let's talk for a minute about doubt, which I think really shows up as kind of the thing that is happening instead of trust. We know we're not necessarily trusting ourselves when we're doubting ourselves. So the dictionary defines doubt as a feeling of uncertainty or a lack of conviction. Notice again that this is all about beliefs and feelings, right, that's what this is. So I would define self-doubt as hesitation, insecurity, or an indication that we don't genuinely believe in our ability or our capacity to handle the outcome. It tends to slow or stop action-taking, decision-making, and our ability to share our inner world with the outer world. And that can be a challenge because it's really hard to build that trust if we're not taking action and if we're not taking that risk of sharing the inner world with the outer world. So let's take just a moment to talk about what is self-doubt not? I don't think you're in self-doubt necessarily if you are honestly critiquing your own work or ideas or behaviors with the intention of growing your skill. I think self-critique is really important. I don't think you're in self-doubt necessarily if you're seeking truth and perspective from internal or external sources. So if you're like, you know what, I want to check in with some trusted people before I decide for sure if I believe in this thing, right? I think that's wise. I don't think you're in self-doubt if you're thinking carefully and critically about your own cognitive bias, which of course we all are subject to, right? And this, it can, I will say this, it can definitely go overboard. I am somebody who nerds out on learning about cognitive bias, but I'm also a human living with a human brain. So I also have cognitive bias. You know, cognitive bias just being like we have our certain ways of seeing the world that really are very subjective and sometimes it's hard to know what is the truest truth because we may be believing something based on one of our own biases. So if we go too far overboard with that, we just will never take any action. Believe me, I've been there. We cannot get paralyzed and stuck completely on trying to understand the full and complete truth because we'll never get it so there's a little bit of a balance to strike here and that's really what we're talking about so i also want to take a minute to name that there are systemic reasons why we don't trust ourselves and that's going to be particularly true if we are historically marginalized and when i use that phrase i'm really just talking about anyone who's been marginalized in any way from dominant culture which is the capitalist white supremacist patriarchy So that applies in particular to women and to black folks and indigenous folks and people of color and anyone on the LGBTQIA spectrum and the disability spectrum and on and on. And of course, that doesn't mean that there's not also plenty of cis white straight men who also suffer from self-doubt because in a way, it's just anybody who, like they don't actually fit into this persona of capitalist of white supremacist of patriarchy and there are plenty of men out there who see that it's just a farce right and so they're also going to be disenfranchised from it they're also going to doubt themselves because there's a true nature in them that's different than what they're being taught they should be so not to go too far down that's a big giant uh, rabbit hole that we could go down but i just want to name that there are systemic reasons why our ability to value and believe in ourselves has been undermined. And so we want to name that. It's not anyone's fault if you're struggling with with self-trust. It's also true that if you have a trauma history, it's going to be more difficult to build trust. And there's probably more layers of emotional labor to work through. So I also want to name that. This is not like you're a better person if you trust yourself more. You may just be coming in with a card stacked against you a little bit, but the work is still good work to do, from starting from wherever you are. And I just wanna say that I think when you reclaim your right to trust yourself, that can be an act of liberation, that can be an act of defiance even, and you deserve that. Okay, so to unpack self-trust, today i want to get into a few what i'm calling principles of trust the first principle for me is safety i think that in order to be showing up with trust for anything there has to be a baseline of feeling safe and what i know from the work i've done as a yoga therapist and as a coach is that predictability is really important to increasing safety and the way we get predictability is if we've had prior experiences with something in the past or if we have a really solid plan that also matches our current skill set for how it will play out in the future. And we probably feel the safest when we have both, when we have both prior experience and a plan that matches our skill set. This is why you've probably noticed that it's easier to trust yourself when you're doing something that you're just highly competent with, right? Because you've done it a bunch of times, you know how you're going to do it in the future. So that's not surprising. But if you're working on increasing trust in an area, just keep that in mind, that predictability is gonna be an element that's gonna lead to the sense of safety. Another component to safety is that we need to be resourced with all of our survival needs. And we have to remember that a sense of belonging is also a survival need. So if you're gonna do something that's really risky to your belonging, or that feels like it's risky to your survival needs, It's going to be very difficult to find self-trust to catapult into doing that because you're going to be prioritizing safety. It's also going to be difficult if you haven't met your basic physiological needs. So that includes like getting enough rest and getting proper nutrition and some exercise and just feeling balanced and feeling, you know, basically on a baseline of health. It's going to be harder to trust yourself if you're really not resourced in that way. Another component to safety is, of course, appropriate and healthy boundaries. So when we have those in place, we will feel more safe. When we don't have those in place, we will feel less safe. So this is an element of building self-trust as well. The more we create and uphold our healthy boundaries, the more we will develop self-trust. And the final thing I want to name about safety is that... Safety increases when there are shared values that play a meaningful role in guiding behaviors. So this is also really big with self-trust. I find that naming your values, understanding your values, knowing what you're showing up for can really help because you suddenly can see that what you're trusting in is these particular values that help you see your priorities. Not everybody will share those values. Not everybody will agree, but as long as you're clear on what your values are, you will be more likely to feel safe in showing up for them. Okay, I know I said that was the last thing about safety, but I also want to mention, of course, safety, you know, my background as a yoga teacher, yoga therapist, I tend to think of it first and foremost as a physiological experience that we receive in the nervous system. And it's not really something that we think our way into. It is primarily something that we breathe our way into and that we learn how to rest and relax into. So you might just even take a moment right now, place your hands on your belly, and just see if you can take a few breaths to let the breath slow down and move down and out and expand into your belly, into your rib cage. And I always like to support that the breath doesn't need to be in a hurry and you don't need to make anything happen. So maybe just spend a little time with that and see if you can find that sense that you're safe in your body. And if if it's not showing up today, just know that it's a process. I mean, I have been a yoga practitioner for a couple decades now. And when I first came to that practice, I did not know what, I did not know how to feel safe and rested and relaxed in my body. That was something I had to learn to do. So... Keep that in mind, if you're working on building self-trust, then there might be a physical element as well. Okay, so I'm going to go into the second principle of trust, which I am naming as faith. And the way that I'm defining this is that when we want or need to find trust, even when we aren't assured of safety... That's what we call faith (laughs) when we, you know, if we're absolutely, if it's predictable and we've done this before and we have a plan and we know exactly how it's going to go, then that's not so much faith as like, it's pretty easy to trust that because there's a lot of predictability. It's when we don't have predictability that we sometimes do have to summon. Okay. I'm going to trust anyway. I'm basically going to make a deposit of my trust that hasn't yet been earned and hope it's gonna come back to me with some return on that investment, right? Just to put it in resource terms for you. So I think that faith necessarily requires courage because it means that we're gonna have the willingness to risk the safety we can see for the more meaningful safety we imagine might be possible. I'm gonna say that one more time. This is really important. Faith means having the willingness to risk the safety we can see for the more meaningful safety we imagine might be possible. I will give you a couple examples of this. I've certainly worked with plenty of clients who were in maybe a job that was just slowly killing them or burning them out. And as miserable as they were in that job, they couldn't see what was next. They didn't have a definite solid landing place to jump. So the safest thing they could see was the job, even though the job was slowly killing them. And sometimes we have to take that leap of faith and say, I don't know what's next, but I know I have to get out of this situation to figure it out. I've seen the same thing with just toxic or unhappy relationships where I've worked with clients where it's so hard to leave a relationship even when you're absolutely sure it's no longer serving you because it still feels like a foundation or a safety that you understand and it's so hard to trade that for a safety that you don't have yet so you have to have a little faith and a little courage to say there are other opportunities out there and at a certain point you're just not going to get them unless you take a little bit of a leap right the last thing i want to say about faith is of course it's often associated with religious or spiritual belief, and if you have one of those, (laughs) then maybe that can help you with your faith. I am not a religious person, but I find that connecting to nature, connecting to archetypes and imagery of true self, higher self type things, that can help me to return and to feel connected and just remember that the universe is much bigger than me and I am super lucky that I even get to be here at all. Like this is such an amazing little blip of existence that I got to be part of. And so that kind of helps motivate me to say, yeah, you know, this is already not a religious miracle, but a miracle in the sense that like, wow, this happened. I'm here and I'm doing this. So let's see what else is out there. Let's see what else we can do. Okay, so the third principle of trust is that trust is a process. And it's always in relationship. I once had a collaborator who said this to me, that trust is a process. And as soon as she said it, it just clicked. It was like I got it for the first time and I was like, oh, you're right. Trust is not something that you get like a possession and then you put it on your shelf and you just have it for the rest of your life and you like hang it on your wall. That is not how trust works, right? Even our most beloved trusted friends or family members could do something to break our trust or to rupture the trust and then there would be some repair time. The same is true for us in our relationship to ourselves. Our self-trust is always in process. We are making little deposits into that relationship with ourselves that build the trust and then sometimes we're doing other things that might rupture or disrupt our ability to trust ourselves. And the other part of that that's helpful to remember is Parts work, thinking that there are multiple parts of self, right? And oftentimes when we're struggling with self-trust, it's because one part of us is not trusting another part of us. Very similar. We have a little inner society that's very similar to the outer society, right? So there might be some conflicting values, even internally. Like maybe a part of me really values safety and security and wants that no matter what. But another part of me really values taking creative risks or you know, having adventures and maybe doesn't care if we have to rack up debt on the credit card to do it or, you know, something like that. So sometimes we actually have to find the part of us that's actually like a mediator who can come in and say, okay, I see that you value this and you want this and you value this and you inner parts are fundamentally feeling distrustful of each other because you're kind of tugging the rope in different directions. And so there does need to be a little bit of work around how can we come together? How can we find a shared goal? Internally, so that we can build that trust. What has to happen there so that each part can trust the other part? So, another interesting thing about the relationship aspect of trust is that when we give our trust, we increase the possibility of trustworthiness. So, I'm a really big fan of giving trust as freely as you possibly can, even if it's risky. If it's kind of, again, if you think of it like a resource, if you can build enough of it to just give it freely give it to yourself give it to other people give it to the universe give it to the world and not be resentful if it doesn't come back to you because you took a risk maybe it doesn't always work out but when we do that when we treat somebody like we trust them they will be so much more likely to show up with trustworthiness you've probably had that experience yourself when somebody treats you like they don't trust you, suddenly there's like an energy of distrust that's kind of vibrating in the air that goes both directions. Or maybe it makes you doubt yourself. Oh, wow, this person doesn't seem like they trust me. Does that mean I'm not going to be able to do this? So I think it's important if we're talking about self-trust that we keep that in mind, that, that you have to treat yourself with that same respect or that same opportunity to grow that you might treat like a beloved child, right? I'm not in the stage yet where I'm parenting teenagers, but I already am dreading the day that I have to take my kiddo out for his first driving lesson. (laughs) I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm gonna have to trust my kid to take the wheel, right? That's gonna happen one day. And it's gonna be a little risky because there is no evidence proving that he can drive this car other than, of course, we'll do our best to build up that predictability and that safety, but at the end of the day, I'm going to have to treat him with like, you can do this. You've got this. I do believe in you and he's going to rise to it. Right? And so we have to do the same thing with ourselves. So the fourth principle of trust is that trust is a choice. That means that it's something we are actively intentionally choosing to do. It requires us to be present and engaged and responsive. So not paying attention to something is not the same as trusting something just want to emphasize that i have been through this with myself in the past where if there's something i don't want to pay attention to like money is one of the things in my life in the past that i've been like i don't really i don't want to pay attention to that and so i'll use trust this is kind of an example of a spiritual bypass or kind of blind trust where i'll say i just i'm gonna trust that this is gonna work out and then it doesn't work out because I wasn't, that wasn't really trust. That was actually me wanting to check out and not pay attention to an important part of my life. So if you're in a relationship with another person, for example, yeah, you could feel that there's a real difference between actively trusting someone and investing in that trust versus just checking out and being like, well, I just trust that you would, you know, get it right and, you know, so I don't need to be around to, to check in on it, right? So it's the same with ourselves. If we're building our own trust, we need to be active participants in giving ourselves trust. It's not just a checking out situation. The other part of that is that when I say trust is a choice, it's also something we should, we may need to break our habits in order to make an active choice around it. What I mean by that is that a lot of us get into a habit of trusting or mistrusting as part of our personality. I tend to be more of a trusting person. I have friends and family who tend to be less trusting. Their first response is to not trust. And I don't think one is necessarily better than the other. I think that we shouldn't do this as a passive habit. I think we should actively show up and say, okay, I'm gonna choose to trust or I'm not ready to choose to trust and here's why. And here's what I need in order to be ready okay final principle of trust is trust is contextual so it is perfectly appropriate that we do not trust ourselves to do all things in all contexts if you were to ask me to perform brain surgery on you i'd have to say no i can't do that (laughs) and i do not trust myself to do that and i will not do that until i have proper training which will probably be never because that's not on my life goals list so It's appropriate that there are some contexts in which we would say, yeah, no, I can't do that. I'm not going to do that. And it's also important that we equip ourselves with the skills we're going to need for the tasks that we expect ourselves to perform. And I know that sounds like maybe obvious or simple, But one of the small ways that I worked with people for so many years back in my yoga days is I would work with my yoga therapy clients on setting these kind of healthy habits goals. And almost every one of them, the first day, they would come in and be like, I wanna do yoga every single day. That's what I wanna commit to. And I'd say, okay, well, like how many days right now are you doing yoga? And they would almost always say zero. So then of course I would advise, let's not go straight to seven days a week. Let's figure out maybe the first week you just lay out your yoga clothes on the bed or whatever. You just like sign up for a class. You don't even have to go. You just take one little step to start working on building the skill and building the habit that you're going to need for this to happen. But so often we sign ourselves up for something that we haven't yet developed either the skill or the habit to do. And then we don't follow through and then we break our own trust. And that is why it is so important for us to really set ourselves up for success in the goals and the commitments and the things that that we're working on building. Okay, so that is a few things to think about if you're working on building self-trust. As always, I'm going to have a lot of follow-up resources for you. I actually have a few to share this week. I have my weekly newsletter that's going to come out this Monday with some supportive journal prompts and practices that will support this episode. So definitely make sure you're subscribed to my newsletter. If you haven't done that yet, that's in the show notes. Also, check out my Seeds of Self-Trust coaching project. If you have been wondering if coaching might be the thing that would help you build into that next stage of whatever dream you're working on. This is a completely free 90 minute coaching call that you have the chance to sign up for with me. So check out that project also link in the show notes. And finally, if you haven't seen it yet, I just published a longer article on self-trust practices to build authentic confidence. I published it on my blog and also on my medium account. So you can see it in either of those places. And I will link to that as well. And that is a really thorough 10 very specific practices that you can actually start to integrate that will help you grow self-trust and what I'm calling authentic or slow confidence. The kind that works for all you smarty pants, critical thinking, maybe a little introverted type folks who sometimes overthink things. This is for you. All right. I will be back with you all in two weeks and i am coming back with another interview i have a bunch of really great interviews that i've been doing behind the scenes over here so those are going to start to come out and i have a money mindset course that is starting in october and that is of course also in the show notes and i'm really excited to tell you more about that it's the thing i created from working really hard on my self-trust because it was not an easy thing for me to put into the world and i have a lot of things to say that are a little edgy so i hope you'll check it out and follow me on instagram if you want to see some of my my edgy things that i'm talking about okay that's it y'all i will be back with you soon i hope you have a spacious resourced trusting week Thanks for listening to today's episode of The Space Beyond Scares. If you enjoyed this episode, please go over to Apple iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts and leave us a five-star rating and review. It really helps out a new podcaster. Thank you.